on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. the 21st edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017. Uronga South Brisbane Devils, Jordan Zanchetta. The Houston Lone Stars, Sonia Lovell. The USAFL's Brian Barish. Plus our State League's wrap with Matthew Cox, Alison Schiller, Aaron Russell and Lauren Hodgson. That's all coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the 21st edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, our third season on the air. And a quick reminder, you can listen to this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evenings, quarter past six, that's Melbourne time, on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne. Or you can download to your phone the RSN Racing and Sport app, then click on Carnival and you can stream it anywhere around the world. And a quick reminder as well that our match of the round this week in the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition is the Geelong Cats versus the Melbourne University Muggers. That'll be on air 10 a.m. Sunday morning via RSN Carnival for a bounce down at 10.45 a.m. Our first guest is a two-time All-Australian at youth girls level, a joint league best and fairest in the QWAFL. She's played exhibition match football with the Western Bulldogs and seemed on track to be a member of the 2017 Brisbane Lions AFLW team. That was until the early stages of the last QWAFL season where she did her knee. That wiped out a good 12 to 15 months for her, meaning she wouldn't be taking part in the inaugural AFL women's season. It hasn't got her down, though. She's done a rehab, got her body right, and hopefully soon will be pulling on the boots again for the Yoronga South Brisbane Devils, and not only to try and help them win the QWAFL Premiership of 2017, but hopefully be drafted in October to play for the Brisbane Lions in the 2018 AFLW season. The player we speak of is Jordan Zanchetta, and she joins us on the line. Jordan, thanks for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. Uh, let's first of all step back for a moment and ask, how did you first get involved in footy? Um, I started playing in high school in grade 8. Um, AFL Queensland came to my high school and they ran some clinics. Um, and then my friends asked, I found out I really enjoyed it. So my friends asked me to come down to the local club. And so I went down and, yeah, I've been playing it ever since. Uh, being a Queenslander and, of course, leading up to year 8, um, was Aussie Rules much in your life? Did you support it or were you, like many up north, originally a rugby league girl? No, it was very much rugby league. My family supported rugby league. When the AFL used to come on, we used to switch it off. So it's really funny to look back now and, and to see how much has changed and how much AFL is now a part of my life. Yeah, what hooked you into it? What was it about Aussie rules that got you so interested in the game, not only on-field but off-field as well? Um, I think just being with the team, I used to play a lot of individual sports, but becoming part of a team and, you know, meeting all your friends. I've made lifelong friends now, so it's just a good environment to be around. And who got you down to Yoronga South Brisbane? Do you remember your first game at the Devils? Um, yeah, it was a while back now. Um, Emily, so I used to play for Jindalee, and then our rival used to be Yoronga and Youth Girls, and then when our um, Jindalee didn't have a team anymore, I moved across to Yoronga, um, and, yeah, it was pretty funny because I used to be, be my enemy and then to be part of that team was pretty ironic. Eventually, you ended up playing youth girls for Queensland. Uh, do you remember the first conversation that came about that uh, you were going to be selected for that squad? Um, not really. Obviously, it was very exciting, very new. Um, so it was, that was sort of my first big representative team in any sport. So I was very excited, um, yeah, just to be a part of it all. And, of course, you got to go away with several Queensland sides and a couple of times you were made an All-Australian as well at youth girls level. Um, the high-performance coach of Queensland is, uh, of course, the current Brisbane Lions AFLW coach and Craig Stasevich. He coached the Queensland youth girls at uh, several nationals. Um, in your view, what was Craig like to you a- as a coach? Um, no, he's a very he's a very good coach. He, he knows what's up. He's been around footy for so long. Um, his supporters, you know, really gets around gets around the girls and brings the best out of us. So yeah, he's really good. And just to give that little bit of an insight, how how much feedback does he give you, uh, including when you went up to senior level, when you're not at obviously at carnivals, tournaments, exhibition games, etc. How often does someone like Craig touch base with you to ensure that you're improving your game? 
oh, now and then, you know, he's got a, a lot of players to look after and stuff like that. But, you know, I see him around, so we have chats now and then. Of course, you've come up through the youth girls system into playing senior football at, at QWAFL. S- since the introduction of the exhibition games uh, a few years beforehand, around 2013, have you noticed the increase in the challenge in the playing quality as well at, at QWAFL? Um, yeah, I think so. I think with you know, a league and something to aspire to, everyone's, you know, training harder. You know, there's more coaching staff, you know, more um, fitness coaches and conditioning. So the level's obviously going to improve and I've definitely noticed that, yeah. And, of course, you were lucky enough uh, to be uh, drafted, uh, I think it was 2015, into uh, uh, the Bulldog mm-hmm. squad. Um, how did it feel to have your name called out to be playing in, in one of those exhibition games? Yeah, it was, um, it was very exciting, very cool, something I would have never thought to have happened. You know, growing up, you always sort of just played for fun, but now for it to be a reality was, was very cool, yeah. And also the opportunity to play at Metricon Stadium and at the Gabba as well. I think you played twice representing the Gold Coast Suns against Brisbane Lions. Yeah, no, that was great, you know, to play on sort of the home, home big football stadiums in Queensland, obviously... It's a great opportunity and I feel very privileged and lucky to have had that opportunity. Do you remember the night you were crowned joint league best and fairest? This was 2015. Uh, you and Emma Zilke tied for the QWAFL best and fairest. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a cool, a cool night. Yeah, it was very it was unexpected. Obviously, you know, you don't play for those single accolades, but, you know, for when I was very very fortunate and, and happy about it and that was a very it was a good night and of course uh no doubt last year you were building up you were you were hoping to be part of the 2017 aflw season but unfortunately you did your acl do you do you remember the game and and the moment that all happened yeah you know working so hard for that pre-season i did it in my second game back last year obviously you know it's very shattering and very disappointing but you know, these things happen when you play contested contested sports. So, you know, it's just something you have to go through and hopefully I'm better from it. So what's the journey been back since that ACL? What has been the process been like? Um, well, I'm nearly back playing now. So it's been, you know, 12, 14 months. Obviously, it's a challenging process. You've, you know, you've got positive days and you have the negative days, but you know, having the goal of, of coming back and, and playing in the league one day is a big reason why I kept pushing through and training hard. And what's it like at the moment on the training track? Are you allowed to essentially uh, almost get to match level, uh, twisting, turning, tackling, etc., or are you still on a slightly restricted program? No, I'm pretty much back full training. Um, yeah, it's just getting back and being confident in doing all those things, but hopefully if you few weeks of solid training I'll be back playing soon. And what support network did you have around you um, during the summer? I, I guess um, from a mental perspective it would have been very difficult to sit back and not being able to be out there and participate in the competition including just by like how well the Lions went. Mm. No I had a good support system. I mean you've got all your teammates and your friends and you know, I've got family or the coaches you don't realise how many people care and about you and want to be there for you until something like that happens. So I'm very lucky to have all those people in my life supporting me through. And, of course, you will be nominating for the 2018 AFLW Draft. How it works out, of course, we have the state-based pools where you nominate for a particular state. Have you made up your mind? Will you be nominating definitely for Queensland or are you still assessing your options? No, I'll I'll nominate for Queensland most likely. It's where my family and friends are and... I don't know if I get the opportunity, I'll take it with both hands. Indeed, of course, uh, again, you're a star. They gave plenty of uh, um, experience behind you from those exhibition games. But I guess, uh, like players around your age, it's one thing they'll have to contend with in, in, in the years to come. You've got all these great youth girls also coming through the system. Yeah, for sure. You never want, want an easy in. You always want people to compete against and, you know, there's lots of girls to choose from. It's only going to make our competition and our team stronger. So I'm all for that. It's a good challenge. And as well, let's talk about off the field for the moment because I believe uh, over the past couple of years you've been doing an AFL Sports Ready Traineeship. Yeah, I did a uh, two-year Sports Ready Traineeship. Finished that up last year um, with AFL Queensland, so that was really good. 
you know, getting out there into the schools, growing the game. I really enjoyed it. So how do you see yourself going forward? Uh, obviously, uh, for, for the foreseeable future, women's football will be uh, semi-professional. Do you see yourself balancing that with a role outside of, um, outside of, of football or you be uh, being within the football industry? Um, at the moment, probably outside. I'll just be playing footy. I'm looking to study and you know get into other stuff like that. So probably for now, just playing footy here. And while you've had that time off as well, um, have you got into the, any of the coaching roles and assisting off the field at Yeronga? Yeah, you know, I've been, I've been to most of the games, you know, supporting the girls, you know, being a runner, helping out with some of the newer girls as well, you know, trying to get them to learn and, and teach them some of the things that I know. So, yeah, been around. <laughs> You've had an also an interesting recruit as well um, uh, after the AFLW season to Yeronga. You've got Sabrina frederick Traub. So how are you going to be feeling as a midfielder being able to deliver her the ball laces out in the forward line? <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for that. It's good to have Sabs on board. She's been really good, you know, a lot of experience up there to help out the other girls. Yeah, I can't wait out to get out there and play with the girls. Fantastic to hear. Now, do you have a date circled in the calendar yet of what game you'll be coming back? No, not yet. It's just about, you know, ticking off the last few boxes. I haven't put on a date um, throughout my rehab, so we'll just see how it goes. And when I'm back, I'm back. Well, Jordan, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best in the last few weeks or days, whatever it may be, as you tick off those boxes and then uh, you pull back on the Yoronga jumper and hopefully a Brisbane Lions jumper in the 2018 AFLW season. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Last week on the program, we talked about the women's footy taster session that was happening in Wales and Cardiff. And by all reports, it seems to be a success. And hopefully that will also mean a team from Wales will be represented in the AFL Euro Cup, which is a nine-a-side tournament uh, happening later in the year. Now, let's stay in the Northern Hemisphere, but let's go across to the US where there's going to be a women's footy taster session, this time deep in the heart of Texas in Houston, where the Lone Stars are hosting a women's footy taster session this Saturday, June 24th. And I've got on the line from the Lone Stars footy club, Sonia Lovell. Sonia, thank you very much for joining us. Now, I do have to ask, what's a woman who was born in Geelong, Victoria, doing in Texas? Uh, well, I came over in 2010 with my husband, who works for BHP. So um, there's quite a few Aussies over here um, in the oil and gas industry. And, yeah, seven years later, here we are. Well, you talk about that. What's the Aussie community like in Texas? Um, it's it's quite large, actually. I mean, they, I don't think anyone still really has a handle on how many Australians actually are here. But um, I've heard sort of a figure of around twenty thousand. But um, yeah, between Houston and Austin and Dallas and all the industry that's over here, a lot of Australians have come over in the last, uh, especially ten years, for work. So it's it's really good. Now, you mentioned those three cities. All of them at the moment have men's size, don't they? Including, I think, Austin's, uh, I think, the most successful in the current uh, men's Division One champions. And, of course, yourselves, Houston, and a team out of Dallas, the Magpies. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the uh, men's teams in Texas um, for the last 10 years have been really strong. Um, Austin, I can't even have the one men's team in the country. And Dallas, I think, are ranked about 7th. Um, and we're about ninth. So, yeah, it's been, over the last five years, we've really worked to, um, you know, improve the men's, uh, between the three cities, the men's football. So it's been really good. We know women's football at the moment in the US is pretty strong, particularly on the West Coast. When you talk about sides like LA, San Francisco, Sacramento, Seattle, Portland, uh, we know, of course, Denver, Minnesota, some teams on the East Coast, including the likes of New York, uh, Baltimore, Washington, Columbus, uh, Boston, for example. We haven't heard much of it down south, particularly in Texas, and I think you're trying to resolve that now, aren't you? Yes, definitely. So, yeah, with the strength of the men's you know, teams over the last, uh, especially 10 years, we definitely have seen the last few years um, how well the girls have done here in the USAFL building, those teams and those cities just matching them. Uh, when we go to nationals, we love watching the girls' teams, actually. Uh, the footy's really been great quality. And, yeah, it's definitely time. The last few years we've, we've been looking at going, it's, it's building towards our time to, to get the girls involved down south. And I think you're right. I can't think of too many other girls' teams down south Um that have got something going. So we're, we're looking to build something in Texas first and help each other out and then 
you know, who knows, hopefully in the next sort of three years, maybe have our own individual women's teams in each city. Well, that's what you're hoping for, and I know you're hoping to send a team to the Nationals combined with Texas, but let's just focus in on the Houston area, and this Saturday you've got a a women's taster session. Um, How did the idea for that first come about, and what have you been doing to try and build this day? Um, The idea sort of came about, um, I guess, towards late last year, uh, when we are thinking about our goals for this year, and it's definitely one of our number one goals to to build women's footy, and I'd spoken to Joanne Beattie at the Dallas team, um, over the last few years. So, yeah, but this year we just thought let's just have a come and try it day, a talent search, because we can see from the local community here, like, you know, the Texas women, um, very talented in basketball, volleyball, soccer, intramural sports. And um, just we've had a few girls come down to training and they really enjoy it. So we just want to give them more of a forum where they're just learning with each other and not just playing with the guys. And yeah, try and get some of that local talent out and see what our game's all about. And what's some of the places you've been trying to reach out to to try and catch women's attention to get them to sign up to come down for this day? Uh, well, actually, on the weekend, we went out to roller derby, which I hadn't been to before. Um, some of the girls in the Portland, Oregon team suggested that, and it was it was really good. Um, we've been reaching out to the local rugby teams that, are, that have been built up here quite strong over the last few years. Uh, basketball, soccer, uh, intramural sports, which at college, are, you know, there's not a lot of girls I don't see here when I come out of college or if they're not in that top tier of basketball, softball, volleyball um, to do. So they sort of play intramural sports around the community and we're trying to access that market. Of course, this big day coming up on Saturday. Can you give us an insight of some of the things that you're going to try and put them through on the day to give them, particularly those that are picking up a footy for the first time, their first taste of Aussie rules? Yeah, well, we're going to actually start off with just some fun uh, fitness drills and slowly bring in the footballs, actually, because I think that is the one thing they seem a little bit um, intrepid about, uh, the ball itself and ball skills. So we just want to let them know, you know, it's, it's fitness, it's a lot of running and agility and fun, um, teamwork, and then we've, yeah, we've slowly built in the basic skills of handballs and uh, kicking, which probably kicking is going to be the hardest one for most of the girls to sort of pick up. Now, you do have one kind of little secret weapon there, do I say, in Texas. I know she's shown up at a tournament recently and uh, hung out with the Austin boys for a bit. That is just one particular AFLW league best and fairest, Erin Phillips, who, of course, is based at the moment in Dallas. Yeah, yeah, that was great to see her out. Um, I think she's only recently got back from her time in Adelaide and, and how well she did there was awesome to see. But, yeah, she came out. Um, we, uh, uh, we were playing Dallas at the time, so we didn't get a chance to, to talk to her. But she's in the Dallas area. I think she's one of the coaches or managers now of the Dallas Wings. Um, so we, we're definitely all hoping to get her involved, uh, especially when we perhaps have a women's taster in Dallas or... Later in the year, we're hoping to have uh, actual games for the girls to play in Dallas, um, Austin and Houston, um, leading into nationals. So is that the current plan leading into San Diego in October to try and have uh, all three cities combining for one team to play at San Diego before hopefully down the road creating your own little mini league? Yeah, definitely. We want to give them something for the girls to aim towards and we just think the nationals... Uh, tournaments um, are a great one for that. It's it's a lot of fun and being in San Diego this year is a, a good attraction. Um, so yeah, we'll, we're hoping to get you know a good crew out from Dallas. They're definitely on board, and then um, Austin as well later in the year and um, have a game, have our first sort of game uh, before we play our usual Texas Cup format with the guys and um, give them a good showcase um, for them to show their skills at and build towards. Yeah, definitely, hopefully a team at at Nationals. We've had a couple of girls play for other teams at Nationals over the years, and um, they've done quite well, but it would be great just to have, yeah, something where they're all playing together and and get that camaraderie going in Texas. Now, the all-important date, where, when, et cetera, how can people uh, find out about this taster session? When's it occurring? Where do they need to be at? Um, well, we're lucky enough to secure the Houston Sports Park, which is where the Houston Dynamo and South Soccer Team train. It's a great venue. So we're down there this Saturday, June 24, um, from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock. 
um, and then we'll have a social after that. But yes, it, they just go to our um, website, Houston Footy. Um, there's a, a women's page there with all the details and videos and skills on the game. Um, also, our Facebook page, uh, Houston Lone Star, the Australian Football Club, has got all the details. And yeah, if anyone knows any friends in Texas, most people do, um, Aussies or local Americans, make sure to let them know. Um, and then I've spoken to Dallas and there that is uh, scheduled for July the 8th, so there'll be more information coming out on that as well from the USAFL and, and Dallas. Fantastic to hear big things happening for women's footy there in Texas. And, of course, for this weekend, the Houston Lone Stars hosting that session on Saturday, June 24th. Sonia, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy and all the very best with your come and try day this weekend. No worries, Peter. Thank you for having us. We're going to keep our focus on the U.S. for a little while longer because there's a big tournament coming up in Riley, North Carolina this weekend. And that's why I've got on the line the media manager for the United States Australian Football League in Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? G'day, Peter. Good. Good to talk to you as always. Great to have you on the line. It's been a couple of months since we last spoke. In that time, there's been a whole heap of small little tournaments happening up and down the West Coast of the USA. But now it's time for something to happen on the East Coast. Yep, we have the Eastern Regional Tournament, the second of our tournament series. The Regional Tournament Series will be at Miller Fields on the campus of North Carolina State University in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is uh, the capital of the state of North Carolina and the home of the North Carolina Tigers, which a trivia question or trivia answer uh, was Kim Hemingway's original club before latching on with the New York Lady Magpies. And just to make everyone a bit more confused, that's Kim Hemingway, of course, who, not only from North Carolina, plays the New York Magpies despite being based in L.A. and was most famous for playing for the Sydney Swans. Yeah, that's like a uh, that's like a where in the world is Kim Hemingway uh, type situation. Uh, but but that's actually where she learned the sport. She happened to be uh, working in uh, Raleigh at the time uh, when she found Aussie Rules, and uh, that's how she latched on. I think I got tackled by her when she was playing for the Tigers, and I was playing for the Hawks. Well, that's a souvenir to keep. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, let, let's talk yeah, about. Yeah, but uh, and. I'm going to say I expect that Kim will probably be flying in this weekend, so we'll probably be seeing her. Well, yes, the New York Magpies, uh, one of the sides on the East Coast. A number of teams are taking part in this uh, Eastern Regional Tournament on the women's side. Yeah, so the we have the New York Lady Magpies coming in, as well as the Columbus Jillaroos. They'll be the two largest contingents uh, of the women's sides, and then we'll also have players from the Boston Lady Demons, the Baltimore Washington Lady Eagles, and the Philadelphia Hawks ladies. So uh, it'll be uh, another great gathering of teams from up and down the East Coast. Uh, right now, it looks like they're going to be playing two two-by-20-minute games uh, separated by an hour break in the middle. Uh, so it'll be it'll be good. Uh, the last time we did this was uh, last year in Yonkers, New York. It was New York versus a team made up of all comers. Uh, as in last year, Columbus was the largest contingent. So that's probably what we're going to have, but we're, we're still waiting to see how the numbers shake down in terms of how they pair everything out. And for some of the players as well, it might be a chance of a last serious hit out uh, before they come down to Melbourne in August for the uh, International Cup. Yeah, there's going to be a couple of uh, Freedom and Liberty players who will be taking part this weekend. Of course, Drea Casillas from New York will be there. Katrina Scherer from the Columbus Jillaroos. Uh, a number of players on the on the Liberty side, including uh, Lauren Balsley for Columbus, uh, as well as uh, Claire Algozin, uh, Lauren Skinechny, both from New York, and uh, Amy Arundel from the Philadelphia Hawks, as well as Erica Saki, uh, both of whom were added uh, late in the game, uh, but are uh, still trying to hope to make the trip for the tour uh, with the Liberty in concurrence with the International Cup of Freedom. Uh, tour. Uh, just quickly talking on the uh, AFL International Cup kicking off on August 5th here in Melbourne. Um, the USA are being hosted by a Victorian club, the VU Western Spurs down here in Melbourne. 
Yes, and they were their partners for the last International Cup uh, back in 2014. They uh, hosted them and they hosted their, their trainings uh, as well as they were hosted really by the club itself with uh, Deb Lee. In fact, uh, the uh, Lee and the Demons and the Spurs uh, hosted them at the MCG for a match uh, while the Freedom and Liberty were down there. Uh, that is going to happen again this year is that they'll be taking them to see the Demons in St. Kilda uh, while the two teams are down there for the International Cup. But this is fantastic. The Spurs are a, a team that have a bit of history in the VWFL. Uh, they have uh, some history with the current AFLW and the fact that uh, they'll get a chance to train at uh, at the Western Oval uh, and to get to use the facilities there in Footscray at the team base is, is absolutely fantastic. They'll also be getting some sponsorship considerations as well. So uh, this is a very important partnership and uh, for, for both sides, we feel, especially since the Spurs, uh, when they were in St. Albans at the time, uh, they got a chance to come over and tour the U.S. Uh, immediately afterwards. So uh, as I mentioned, this is fantastic. I'm talking to Lee Barnes about it, the head coach of the USA Freedom. He's really, really excited by it, and I know that uh, a number of players on the Freedom are excited by this as well. And, and may I say, what an absolute perfect time to make the announcement because just how luck of how the results have gone over the weekend, you've teamed up with the current number one side on the VFLW ladder. Well, you know, sometimes you got to hit your star to a winning wagon. <laughs> but I, I, in all seriousness, yeah, this is we we've been talking about this uh, previously, Peter, about uh, teams coming over and and. Uh, making these connections and I know it's happening with other clubs on the men's and the women's side. I know the men uh, have a partnership with the Montrose footy club. Uh, they we're still waiting on the fixtures for the international cup. I think the hope is as well that uh, this may be uh, an indication as far as where the U S uh, freedom play their community round game, which is the third round of the tournament, which if I have the dates right, I believe is August 12th. Uh, so uh, it'll be uh, it'll be a great experience if they are able to get a chance to play uh, at the at the Western Oval. But uh, it's this is really one of the benefits of having this tournament in Australia is the fact that uh, they get to make these re these relationships, which uh, help not only the players individually but our program as a whole. Well, Brian, thanks very much for joining us. We look forward to catching up with you as we get close to the AFL International Cup in August. Always a pleasure, Peter. Thank you. Time to do our State Leagues wrap here on Girls Play Footy. First of all, we're going to focus on Queensland. And we've got on the line after he's been missing for a couple of weeks. It's good to have him back, our Queensland footy guru in Aaron Russell. Aaron, thanks for joining us, mate. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you, Peter, as always. Good to have you on the line. Now, of course, we didn't speak to you last week, so we better catch up what happened over the Queen's birthday long weekend. There were two matches played between Queensland and WA under-23s. Naturally, selectors for both the Lions and the Dockers would have been casting an eye over over both sides. J just to you personally, who, who impressed you over the weekend's representative matches? Yeah, oh, look, uh, girl, I've had dealings with for, for quite a while and then not... not uh Try not to be too biased there, but Maddie, Maddie Robertson was given the opportunity um, for a leadership role uh, over the Queensland side there, and um, yeah, she was she was everywhere, mate, um, throughout the game, and and yeah, really finding. I mean, I had a chat to her, um, you know, last few years before, and an area she's really been trying to work on, and probably the main difference for her um, taking the next step up is her is her uh, skills by sport. So that's an area she's worked hard over the summer, and. She was really good. Emma Pittman as well plays for UQ, uh, you know, handy uh, ex-soccer player. Uh, she also was was absolutely everywhere. Um, and, and Perichich as well is another one. So a few names there you might not be too familiar with. Um, another UQ player I thought played played quite hand, handily well. Um, and uh, Emma Asherman got a fair bit of footy as well. And, and she's she's a girl who missed out on a fair bit of. Uh, QWAFL football last year and had the opportunity this year and um, yeah she she also put her hand up as well so well, it was quite good. 
And uh, one name we should mention that obviously didn't uh, play in the representative game. She should be due back soon. She was our interview at the top of the program. Uh, and your thoughts on her, Jordan Zanchetta. She's due back soon to pull on the boots for uh, Yeronga South Brisbane and certainly would be one of the names that would be in the mix to be drafted by the Lions. Yeah, absolutely. That'll, that'll be... I'll be really looking forward to, to her making a return, and as she will, as will she be. She, um, you know, had had, had to go through a bit. It's a tough time, um, and she's missed out a lot of footy. I mean, you know, from what I know of Jordan Zanchetta, skillful player, and I think she'll bounce back. Uh, I think she'll bounce right back when when she gets given the opportunity. So and I know, I know, uh, Stars is would, would be keen to have her back as well, and um, yeah, I guess from. from from a Queensland point of view, it'd be great to to see her bounce uh, straight back into action, and and I don't I don't think she'll have too much trouble as well. Okie dokie, let's have a look at what happened in round 10 of the uh, Bond University QWAFL and uh, first of all we have a look at the Maroochydore versus Zilmere Eagles game and the Ruse big winners there, 124-6 Yeah, Maroochydore got, got a good opportunity there to, to um, flex some muscle against uh, against uh, you know a, a Zilmir side that'll be that'll be learning throughout the year as we know and um, yeah it was a good opportunity for them to 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 uh, get some scores on the board as well um, you know a Murchie or not uh, you know in a, in a uh, I guess a growing a season that's going to be building for them as well so they're going to have some tough matches along the way so it was a good opportunity for, for some of their girls to see a bit more footy than they may have you may usually have. Uh, Wilston Gray, 6'6", 42, going down to Cooper Roo, 12'10", 82. Yeah, look, that was shaping up to be, again, what was looking to be a really tight contest. Uh, you know, Cooper Roo got the better of them in the end. And, um, you know, I think Wilson, in terms of strength-wise, I think Wilson were missing uh, probably a couple more than than what Grange were. Uh, sorry, sorry, than what uh, Cooper Roo were. Um, yeah, Cooper to Brittany Gibson, um, Lions players, you know, played played out a full forward, funnily enough. Um, didn't play there much for the Lions, but, but played out a, out a full forward and, uh, you know, obviously did quite well there. I think she ended up bagging six goals today. Um, so she had a, had a day out. Wushner played well again. Zilke starting to find some form in, in the local competition, um, which is great for Cooper um, being back there. And, um, yeah, it was, it was good, but I, I think, I think Jordan Jordan Memory missing from uh, Grange is is a, is a big loss for them at the moment. And of course, the closest game of the round it came down to one point in it. UQ Red Lions four eleven thirty five going down to Coolangatta Tweed five six thirty six. Yeah, what a cracker! Uh, really good game that one. Um, again, it was a, probably the match of the round that we were expecting. Uh, look, to be honest, it was really hard to pick a winner prior to the game. Um, I probably, yeah, probably might have even got that one wrong. I reckon if, if I had a choice, uh, if we had a touch base last week, I probably might have said the UQ in a close one. But yeah, Cooley Cooley got the job done in the end. Um, one point by one point, fantastic. Um, again, just holding. You know, that's the second time this year UQ have been been held to to a really low for basically not scoring um, for a half of football. So for them, it's going to be really about trying to, you know, turn, turn the tables and play four quarters for, for, for that crew. But um, you know, congrats and and awesome awesome stuff for for Cooley to to get the job done there uh, by point. And um, you know, that's something they've been able to do for the last couple of years, get those those close wins. So a few of those girls that had the experience and uh, and Casala, you know, knows knows those close wins all too well. So. I think the experience got them over the, over the line in the end, Peter. Let's have a look at round 11 for your previews. Uh, all games on Saturday, June 24th at quarter to five. At Maroochydore Oval, the Roos are hosting Cooperoo. Yeah, Roos hosting Cooperoo. Uh, again, gives Maroochydore another shot at home. Um, I mean, you know, obviously Cooperoo are starting to find some form now. That was a great win against Wilson last week. So I'm really expecting uh, Cooper to have uh, a solid win here. I think they'll they'll travel up well. Um, Gibson's on the park, as we know, had a great great day out last week uh, against Wilson. I think they'll play her there again. I'm expecting uh, Brittany to kick seven goals this week. Um, so yeah, I expect 
Mooch, put up a fight at home, but I, I can't see uh, in Cooper by, by about uh, oh, 50 points, I think, Peter. Wilson Grange host UQ Red Lions. Yeah, Wilson Grange. So this is another gives Wilson a really good opportunity here to bounce back from last week. Um, hard to say with who's in and out. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure um, this this far out from from the weekend. But uh, look, I, I'm expecting after last week, uh, Wilson to probably put put a bit more of a closer match than what they went down to Cooper with. Um, but I'm expecting UQ to get the job done here. I think just across the park, they just might have, have the run of the turf and uh, a bit quick across the board with a few of their smalls. So I'm expecting uh, UQ here to win in, in what's going to be, I think, a close contest. And finally, Yoronga South Brisbane host the Zilmere Eagles. Yeah, Yoronga South Brisbane, Zilmere Eagles again. Um, look, probably not a, a lot to be said about this this one. Um, it gives, uh, gives Zilmere that opportunity again to, to play against you know, some of the best players in the competition. Uh, again, I think think uh, you know, will obviously rest some players and um, give them the opportunity to to um, recover from from a long season, especially those Lions girls. So, like to see you know Bates um, probably not won't play, um, and Ransford might not play. Some some of those girls, those Lions players, probably might get the the rest this weekend. But uh, yeah, I'll expect Yuronga in a, in a big win there. Well, Aaron, thanks very much for joining us this week on Girls Play Footy to have a look at the QWAFL. We look forward to catching up with you next week for more Queensland women's footy. No worries. Thanks uh, for having me again. Thank you, Peter. Time to turn our focus now to the Swiss Wellness Victorian Football League women's competition. I've got on the line our lead caller for the RSN Carnival match of the day in Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Yeah, good, Pete. Recovering after a big weekend of footy. Fantastic game right across the fixture. The games we called were nice and close, and the, the games that we weren't at threw up a couple of surprises, which uh, is keeping things very interesting in the Swiss Wellness VFL women's competition. The first game we were at were at Melville Oval in Hamilton, and we saw Melbourne Uni and Darabin, a bit of a swing-soaring affair in front of about a 1,000 people, and in the end, for Pride and Inclusion Day, it was Darabin that got the chocolates. Yeah, it was an arm wrestle, wasn't it? I think we we all looked at each other at three-quarter time and thought, geez, which way could it go? It was only a point of difference. And it had been like that for most of the day, apart from the the big jump that uh, Darabin got. I think they got uh, three quick goals in the first ten minutes in the first term. But apart from that, it was pretty much all level from there on in. And at the end of the day, Darabin probably... The better of the two sides um, made more of their opportunities. I think their inside 50 stats were well up on the muggers, so they were just able to convert a lot easier. Vesio was was dangerous as she always is, and they contributed with a goal. Uh, Melissa Hickey was our best on ground, and, and she was phenomenal. Played a, a different type of role than what we've seen her play at the Falcons. We've generally seen her across half back with a little bit of midfield time, but on the weekend she was right in the thick of things from the word go. And just her presence around the footy and her skill to get it away cleanly was uh, really helped the Falcons overcome the likes of Carney and Blackburn running through the middle. For the Muggers, who again were very impressive for Melbourne. Uni, and you'd have to say the, the question mark I think we all walked away from was what happens when those two are missing from the Muggers' side? Well, we've already seen what happened when Jess Anderson and Catherine Phillips were missing because that weakened their forward line, and, and it probably cost them at crucial stages. It certainly did, and especially with Astro O'Connor coming back into the side for the Falcons as well. Just provide that tall down in defence for the for the Falcons, which I think the Muggers didn't have a, a real good replacement for. Obviously, Anderson going down meant they had to throw a, a few different options up there for that tall forward, but didn't really make an impact. In, in And, you know, Connor's first game back, she was really pivotal as well down in defence. In another tight battle, it was at Casey Fields. Cranbourne hung on against Seaford, 7-7-49 to 7-1-43. That's two years in a row these two sides have played a classic out at Casey Fields under lights. Yeah, fantastic, isn't it? That Even though these are the two poorer sides of the competition, that they could still put on a, a spectacle. And nice to see that 
Seaford were actually able to convert on the scoreboard. That was a bit of my worry after seeing them against the Devils a couple of weeks ago where they seemed to be able to transition the ball to around the half-forward area, but then they just broke down and weren't able to convert those opportunities. 7-1-43 on the weekend, I think, is a good result for them, and now hopefully they can start to build a bit of that confidence that uh, they can play some good footy for Cranburn. Another win under their belt. Um, and a good result for them. Nice to see that Jacobson tri- uh, contributed with two goals and Moody was uh, named one of the best again. So just ticking all the boxes at the moment, Cranbourne, we know that they've still got a few players to come back into that side. Um, and they're just, whilst they haven't taken the, the step in development that we were expecting them to this year, I think they'll grow into a nice little season. Our match of the day on Sunday was at Henry Turner Memorial Reserve, where the VU Western Spurs defeated Geelong 7-5-47 to 3-2-20. And despite the scoreboard saying a 27-point win for the Spurs, they were given a fright there in the third quarter. Well, yeah, we thought at half-time, or maybe this could be a a little bit of a a blowout for um, Geelong, and just puts a little bit of doubt that their early season performances may not have been as good as what everyone thought they would be, but to the Cats' credit, they certainly turned it around and and whilst they didn't score in the fourth term, they certainly had the the pressure there in the second half and really took it up to the Spurs, did give them a fright, although the end margin was 27 points, but a real competitive effort for Geelong, and I think we remarked during the call on the weekend there is a, a difference these two sides, particularly compared to the likes of Darabin and, and Melbourne Uni, whereas they just they don't have that uh, precision or the methodical way of playing football just yet. That's probably the next step in both of these sides' developments. Um, but I'll tell you what, when they can turn it on, they can move the ball very, very quickly. Both sides can, which I think is a credit to them. And for the Spurs, strangely, they have rocketed to the top of the ladder in this real interesting, weird season. Um, Somehow they've come out of the victors of of round five. The interesting thing about the season, of course, it's a 14-round season. They shortened it due to AFLW, and that means, unlike last year, not everyone will play each other twice. So some sides will have an easier draw, some will have a harder draw, and I guess uh, it's a case of picking your run that you've got to make sure you win those important games along the road, um, and particularly against sides that are evenly matched or those above you that you might only have one go against, because if you lose against them, that could uh, be the game that tips you out of the four, even if you may appear to be a stronger side on paper. Yeah, and when you do play those softer sides of the competition, you really do need to to wipe them off the park and get as much percentage boost as you can because that could cost you come seasons in considering we're starting to get a logjam of teams both at the top of the table and through the mid part. Talking about having to wipe signs off the park, uh, when we talked in the pregame about the Eastern Devils-Box Hill Hawks match, we are saying this was a game that the Devils had to make a statement, bring up a big win, a bit similar to that they did against Seaford, to again boost the percentage and just try and enforce that, you know, despite being, you know, now two and three on the ladder, that there was still a force to be dealt with uh, when it gets to the business end of the season. They won by 20 points in the end. They trailed at quarter time. The final score, 11-3-69 to 7-7-49. It's hard to find what to take away from this match. Whether Were the Devils just not on? Or were the Box Hill Hawks, after showing glimpses that they can turn it on for a quarter, just had a game where they started to put it all together? Yeah, well, they, they won the first quarter by two points, which I think when you delivered that message on Sunday, it was a bit of... Oh, what's going on here? If the Devils rested a few players, and then you scroll through the side that they selected, and apart from um, you know the likes of Lambert, I think still missing, that they had a very full strength side in which you expect them to win by well anywhere between the range of five and eight goals. Um, would have been minimum for, for their victory on the weekend. So it's it is an interesting game to read. Did, did the Devils just fall short or maybe get a little too overconfident thinking that Box Hill would be, a, be an easy victory? Or did the Hawks bring something new to the table in terms of 
linking a couple of quarters together or a consistent performance across the day, which I think is is the next part of their development that they need to work on. They've they've got the first quarters um, right. They've they've won a couple of those now. It's a question of can they uh, string some passages of play together later in the game and. Just looking at the scoreboard, it seems as though they sort of did that in the third quarter and then uh, had a couple of scoring opportunities in the last. It, it's good. It's pleasing to see that they're at least competitive, but as you say, for the Devils, it's a little bit worrying that they couldn't get over the line as easy as they probably should have against Box Hill. The final game of the round was at the Peanut Farm Reserve, the Creekers and the Sharks. Diamond Creek had the early lead, but uh, from about uh, half-time, the Sharks reeled them in, overtook them, and uh, held the Creekers goalless in the final quarter to run away 8-9-57 to 5-10-40 winners, meaning that there's now no more undefeated sides in the competition and this big shake-up, well, are the Sharks coming? Did the Creekers have an off day? Who knows? But uh, it just adds a little more spice to the ladder. It certainly does and makes things very, very intriguing as we head into the next couple of rounds. As you say, is, is the, shark, are the Sharks coming? Uh, potentially, I think. We know how good they can finish off games and the fact that they held Diamond Creek goalless in that final term, although they were able to get four points on the board. Um, I think it's, it's credit to them that they were able to, to shut down this aggressive Diamond Creek side. We've seen them just um, kill kill off sides throughout this year in, in terms of the way that they've been able to defeat them, you know, around 10, 10 goal margins against some of the, the real low sides of the competition. So to say Kilda to, to hold hold this aggressive side goalless is, is a credit to them. I noticed that Madison Gay contributed with two goals this week. Garner was there again with two goals. Uh, and uh, Brutton was uh, one of the best players on the ground for them. So some of those next rung of players that aren't necessarily the stars of the Sharks' side seem to be stepping up and taking on more responsibility, which is fantastic for them. And for the Creekers, well, I think at this point in time you can say it's probably their first first blip of the season. Um, who knows how they're going to respond this weekend, but you'd reckon they'd have a bit of fire in the belly after what they'd consider to be a, a disappointing performance considering their first four games of the season. I think the one thing when you look at the Sharks, they would have been disappointed in the loss against uh, Darabin where they went toe-to-toe. And uh, they came at them again in the final quarter, but Darabin were just too slick. Uh, the Melbourne Uni game where they lost by a, under a goal, essentially uh, they were just too far back when they made their run, but still they controlled the final quarter. And in all other games, they've controlled the final term. And I guess if anything Sean Smith can take away from this as they build towards and if they get into the finals, is that if they find themselves a little down and out in the third quarter, that they know how to rally and how to come over sides in the final term. And that's the mental edge against some of the better sides of the competition. I mean, you look at the Eastern Devils, who have had a couple of those opportunities as well this year and haven't been able to finish as strongly as they would have liked. When you put them up against someone like the Sharks, who have been able to run out a couple of games or really push sides close, um, I think that's where the Sharks have the edge over the Devils and obviously that's why they've got a game in hand in the win column. Um, so that's it. It's interesting for the Sharks, and obviously they've got Harris looming on the horizon as well, which I think would just straighten them up going inside attacking 50 and just makes them that little more dangerous. Okie dokie, time to have a look at what's happening in round six of Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Football. Our RSN Carnival match of the day will be on air at 10am for a 10.45am bounce down. St Mary's Oval outside uh, Simmons Stadium at Cadinia Park. And it's going to be Geelong versus Melbourne Uni. I guess the question is, um, is this now a period where Andrew Jago will start to rest some of his AFLW players? 
especially after, well, they had a big trial commitment last weekend going down to Hamilton, uh, and now they've got to go down to Geelong, an early start Sunday morning for them. You'd think that potentially they might um, start this rotating roster that everyone seems to be introducing across the competition, especially against one of the sides. Even though Geelong have been good and competitive, they're still not uh, a top side of the competition. So it is an opportunity to start looking at managing some of their stars, Melbourne Uni. You'd think they'd win this game, but if they do find themselves missing a couple of their key personnel, it could be close. It could be within three goals. 11 a.m. at uh, Bill Laurie Oval in uh, Northgate is uh, Box Hill uh, taking on Darabin for the poor old Hawks. Just when they manage to find some form, they're put to the test against the reigning premiers. Who are also finding form. I think I made the comment on the weekend. It looked a little like the Darabin of old passages of play. They just had that methodical way of, of kicking to each other and the, the skills and sharpness seemed to be back. That, that real polish that we've come to expect over the Falcons in the last couple of years. So this is an opportunity for them to continue to fine-tune. I think they may also be resting a few of those stars that travelled on the weekend. So don't expect a full-strength Darabin side, but expect them to be up and about. I think they're starting to just get into a little bit of a rhythm now, Darabin, and with one of these softer sides, they'll uh, like to get a little percentage boost this weekend. At Frankenholm's Oval in Cranbourne, this could be a bit of a banana peel game, this one. It's the match between 7th and 8th, Cranbourne hosting the Eastern Devils. Well, I'm going to put myself on the line here. If uh, the Devils lose this, they can't make the top four. And I reckon Cranbourne are a real sniff. If you're coming up against the Devils side, a little bit battered and bruised from the, the Box Hill Hawks game, knowing that they didn't put in their best performance. You've got a Cranbourne side that's up and about at the moment. A couple of wins on the board already in 2017 and they're just starting to bond together as a group. This is a real opportunity for them and if they do win, they may be able to throw a cat amongst the pig pigeons for some of the top sides of the competition, expecting the Devils to get over the line but only just. Yes, I'm going to go for the Devils as well, but I'm 100% on your bandwagon that if they lose to Cranbourne, the next game they have is the Cathwatton Cup Day at home against Darabin. And that could, yeah. if they lose against Cranbourne, that would be, you could almost say two losses back-to-back, -back, which could make them two and five. And in a shortened 14-game season, I think that'd be almost near impossible to come back from. Yeah, that, that would really hurt. They'd need a lot of things to go their way if they were to make finals if they lose the next two games. So this is a pivotal one to really set it up. And that way they can get a, a little cushion going into the Darabin game. But they just need it to find, as I think we've said on multiple occasions, they just need to find some confidence because they're not playing with any uh, confidence or, or not even any real purpose at the moment from the games that we've seen. They've, they've come in through waves. They haven't been able to string anything together, which if you're a top side of the competition, you'd be able to do. St Kilda and Seaford at the Peanut Farm Sunday, 2pm. Interesting game. You'd think the Sharks will win quite comfortably, but after Seaford's performance on the weekend, who knows? It is at the Peanut Farm, though, so I think the Sharks will win this one, and I reckon it will be anywhere between six and eight goals. And finally, the vfl.com.au video streamed match of the round. I can't believe I'm actually saying this. Second hosting first at the at Plenty War Memorial Park and Plenty, Diamond Creek and the VU Western Spurs. Yeah, you're not the only one gobsmacked that, uh, that the Spurs are on top of the ladder. And as you say, this is a top-of-the-table clash. Crackers will be looking to rebound after the Sharks game on the weekend. Spurs will be looking to continue their season to date where they've done enough, I think, would be a way of describing it, even though they are sitting on top of the ladder. They haven't done anything too spectacular. They've got the wins on the board they needed to get on the board. And they've looked okay in the uh, in the loss that they've had. So I think um, I think Diamond Creek will bounce back. I think they'll win this one, but um, the Spurs might be able to push them. But I'm not 100 percent sure. Well, Coxie, thanks very much for joining us. We look forward to your company in a couple of weeks' time when you rejoin us in the RSN Carnival commentary box. But it sounds like it'll be, once again, another intriguing round of football that will finally start to give some clear shape to this ladder. 
well, we hope. I think we th- we said that after after last week's conversation, and uh, it's gone all over the shot again. So who knows? It's a funny game, football. But uh, looking forward to seeing what happens over the course of this weekend. And uh, again, if you're in and around uh, anywhere around Melbourne, get along to women's footy because it's a very exciting season. Time to take a quick look now. What's happening in the Tasmanian State League women's competition? Round six was held over the weekend, where Glenorchy 10-8-68 defeated Burnie one two. Eight. Well, it was a close one at Gelston Bay Oval on the Sunday. Clarence 5-7-37, defeating Launceston 4-2-9. Round 7 this weekend. The game on the Saturday is at 1 o'clock at West Park and Burnie, where the Dockers host Clarence. While on Sunday at 12 o'clock at Twin Ovals, the Tigers host Glenorchy. Launceston has the bye. Time to turn our focus now to the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. That's why I've got on the line... Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. Footy's back again after the uh, Queen's birthday long week. And uh, first of all, we kick off with the Wolves and the Bombers. And unfortunately for the Wolves, it was all one-way traffic. Yeah, definitely one-way traffic there. It was uh, the Bombers, sorry, the Bombers. The Wolves didn't even get on the scoreboard, unfortunately, against the Bombers uh, going down by 100 points. Uh, the Bombers were pretty inaccurate in front of goal, kicking 22 behind. So had they been uh, more uh, accurate in front of the goal, the margin could have been worse than 100 points there. Uh, Ellie Brush kicked four goals and Steph Walker three for the Bombers and both were named in the best. Uh, in her 150th game, Emma Junior Brown was named in the Wolf's best. So fantastic achievement there uh, for Junior. Newtown Breakaways and Pendus Giants saw the match go the way of the visitors. Yeah, look, my tips uh, weren't very accurate on this game. Uh, the Breakaways, uh, yeah, lost by eight goals uh, to the Giants. I was expecting it to be a little bit, a uh, little bit more closer, and even potentially win to the Breakaways playing at home. Uh, but yeah, went went completely the opposite way there. So perhaps don't take tips from me in the future, uh, at least not if you got money on it. Uh, Melissa Bryden and Jacqueline Gay were strung up forward for the Giants kicking four and three goals apiece. Uh, and, look, it was only 13 points that separated the teams at three-quarter time, but a five-goal last quarter by the Giants ensured the result was beyond doubt there. At Gawley Oval, it was the power getting the job done over the Shamrocks. Yeah, look, it was actually a really good weekend for power. Um, the, the club as a whole, they hosted four games on the Saturday and, and had three wins, so pretty pleasing there. Uh, it was really good for the power to get that win um, after losing to the Shamrocks probably about a month ago uh, by 10 goals. So a, a good turnaround there for the power. Uh, McClure and Lotto were strong up front for the power, kicking three and two goals apiece. Uh, whilst for the Shamrocks, McCutcheon kicked three and again was named in their best players. And in the final game of the round, it was a twilight game where the points went the way of the Stingrays. Yeah, again, whilst the Stingrays doubled the Warriors' score, it was uh, 23 to 59, or so they more than doubled their score, it was a really good contest. Uh, Aslan Albury again uh, kicked a couple of goals for the Warriors, and uh, Sorkiono kicked three for the Stingrays. so fairly, fairly evenly shared the goal kicking there for the Stingrays. Uh, Ferugia was best on ground for the Warriors and Beeson was named best on ground for the Stingrays. So no real surprises there. Uh, a couple of Giants listed players who've been re-signed uh, for the second AFLW season. Having a look ahead now, it's the next round and a bit of a quirk where all the sides that won play each other, all the sides that lost play each other. First of all, at 10.30am at Gawley Oval, the power hosting the Stingrays. Yeah, a bit of an early start there, uh, 10.30, could be worse, it could be the 8.30 time slot, so uh, yeah, can't, can't complain too much there though, I guess. Uh, look, I think the Stingrays will, will have a win, they'll go into the match, heavy favourites, and uh, but Power will be looking to um, play some good footy against one of the Premiership contenders. Newtown Breakaways hosting the Shamrocks at 12 o'clock. I think that could potentially be the uh, closest game of the round, um, but expecting, I think the Shamrocks will, will get a win there. Um, obviously, they've had a, a bit better form throughout the year than the breakaways, and uh, yeah, I think that'll be a close game, but tipping the Shamrocks there. Two o'clock at Mona Park, the Giants have a task on their hands when they host the Bombers. Uh, I think the Bombers will have a win here, uh, but I think it potentially could be a f- fairly close game, uh, and 
looking at perhaps a three to four goal margin this week. Uh, the Giants have, I think, been one of the, the biggest improving sides for the season. Um, whilst the, the Stamrocks obviously were promoted from Division 1 and have improved a lot, I think this uh, combined outfit of the Ormwood Giants and Penrith Ramats is, is really improved as the season continues. So expecting a close game, but the Bombers. And at 3 o'clock on the Saturday, Mac Uni hosts the Western Wolves. Yeah, look, tipping the the Warriors there at home, um, the Wolves obviously not having a, a great season. Uh, whilst I don't think they're, they're going to have a 100-point loss against the Warriors like they did against the Bombers, uh, I think the, the Warriors will win it comfortably on the weekend. Well, Lauren, thank you very much for joining us, and we look forward to catching up with you next week to talk more AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Looking forward to it, Peter. Time to turn our focus down to the West Australian Women's Football League and find out what happened in the league division over the weekend. It was round 10. We're on the Saturday. The Coastal Titans, 23-28-166. Easily accounted for the Perth Angels. No score. At East Fremantle Oval, the Sharks, 19-27-141. Defeated East Perth. No score. Claremont Oval, things were a little closer. The Thunderbirds, 6-12-48. Defeated Claremont, 5-8-38. What's still blue oval? The Swan Districts, 20 20- 11-131 defeated West Perth, one behind South Fremantle with the bye. The fixture for round 11, all games on Sunday. One starting at 12 o'clock at Claremont Oval where East Perth host Claremont. Uh, the other games at 2 o'clock at Anning Park, South Fremantle host East Fremantle. At Bendigo Bank Stadium, Thunderbirds host Swan Districts and at Carlisle Reserve, Perth Angels host West Perth Coastal Titans having the bye. Let's have a look at the AFL Canberra Women's League where where it was round 10, and the Ainsley Tricolors 5-1-31 went down to Balcona Magpies 12-9-81. Eastlake Demons 24-24-168 defeated the ADFA Rams one behind. Gungarland Jets 8-21-69 defeated Riverina Lions 2-2-14. Quimbian Tigers 15-11-101 defeated ANU Griffins no score. And the Malongolo Juggernauts 6-10-46 defeated Tugranong 2-7-19. Kudamundra Blues having the bye. Looking ahead to the AFL Canberra competition round 11. And we've got games all happening on the Saturday at 10 a.m. at the ADFA Oval. The Rams host the Ainsley Tricolors. 10 a.m. at Rockley Oval. Quimbian Tigers host the Malungalo Juggernauts. At South Oval at 10 a.m. ANU Griffins host the Kudamundra Blues. Uh, the Chamberlain's Lane at 10 a.m. Balcon and Magpies host Gungarland Jets. And at 4.30 p.m. Tugranong Hawks host Eastlake Demons. Riverina Lions having the bye. Let's turn our focus now to the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 competition. And I've got on the line Alison Schiller from the Two Crows podcast. Ali, how are you? Very good, thank you. Well, feeling better there. Who do yourself? Well, I think I've got the same uh, cold as you, despite us being a yeah. state apart. <laughs> Exactly. I think that man flu is serious. We all know how bad that can get. Well, let's have a look at what happened over the weekend in the Adelaide Footy uh, Women's League Division 1. Two games on the Saturday. The first at 6.30pm was Modbury hosting Salisbury. Unfortunately for Modbury, they might have been opening a new facility, but that was all the joy they had on the day. Two straight 12 going down to 22-19-151. Well, exactly. The only good thing for Modbury was they kicked straight. And that's where the joy, unfortunately, ended for them. They kicked two goals in the second quarter, and that was it she tried. Salisbury, on the other hand, had an absolute feast. But in saying that, Salisbury also welcomed back three um, Crows players, one in um, El Capitan, Chelsea Randall, uh, Sarah Chalky Allen, and Jess Engineering all took up the charges there as well. So no doubt that that had an absolutely huge impact on the actual uh, game as well. So as you mentioned, 12 to 151. Um, it was a score. The best for Modbury, uh, Nicole Tucker and Chloe Shear. Uh, sorry, were the goal kickers. And also um, Colin Shear, Pierce and Teague, Blumpson and Meacham were in the best players for, for Modbury. Uh, Salisbury, goal kickers, well, there were plenty. Uh, Jake Woodland with five, Sonnen with five, Baker with four, uh, Sarah Allen two and Chelsea two. And then we had Paige Allen, Hoyle, Colhane and Tanner kicking them. The best players... As goal kickers, if your last name was Alan, um, you certainly got amongst it with um, Jess, Sarah and Paige all named in there, with Chelsea taking out the best on ground, with Woodland and Goodluck also getting a mention. At City Mazda Stadium, it was the Bloods hosting Adelaide University, and for uni, it's still Seek, Crush, Destroy. (laughs) 
Well, I think this is a game of the round, and I think I, um, although I have been reliably informed that the scoreline doesn't actually belie the con- the, the actual contest of the game, um, although 76 zip um, doesn't look good in anyone's language. So I think the Westies, the dogs, the uh, wolves are still in the kennel licking their wings at the moment. Uh, Ruth Wallace hasn't found her chances at all of getting drafted, kicking another six goals this week, which brings her total to 16 goals in three games and getting best on ground for two. Now, it was wet and slippery conditions, uh, and it was a very tight and contested game until Adelaide Uni managed to bust it open, um, moving on from there. But also Sophie Jet Lee took some cracker grabs in the wet as well, which impressed a lot of people. For the Westies, um, Shannon Zolly still keeps getting in the BOGs. Uh, take, and that's in three games. She's been best on ground twice and second in one. Uh, Martin, Bedell, Owen and Bellinger also did all right. They were in their best for what was a tough day with Rhiannon Metcalf getting welcomed to the Westies in not the best way. So the Beast didn't have a good game. But no Talia Raiden uh, in there. And also for Adelaide Uni, believe it or not, they were without Gum Mills and Mackerel. I think a couple other players down as well. On the Sunday at Alberton Oval, Port Adelaide, one one seven going down to the Morphys, 13-16-94. Yes. Uh, I thought this one would be a lot closer, to be brutally honest, with um, Port Adelaide being on their home ground. Now, they did manage to restrict, Port Adelaide did manage to restrict the Roos to four goals after half-time, so they tightened up their defence, but the damage was well and truly done after that. So their pressure and their structure, you know, it, it just sort of... It, it came into effect for the second half, but as was happened a couple of times to Port Adelaide, they've been off to slow start, and that's damaged them and often affected the result of the game. Um, Port Adelaide actually played a spare up until half time, which, believe it or not, did them no favours from the more Rules run off the half back. So then they went to one on one, and so they were able to restrict them from there. So um, Hartung Gleeson for Port Adelaide uh, was on the ball and she was a bit of a tackling machine in in only her second year of football. And also another player there, Ashley Gould, in her first year of football, still doing really well and getting up in the best there. But for the Roos, Swanson kick six, Georgia Bevan with two, Courtney Cramey um, pulling on the boots there with Maritz, Big, Goding and Jones all in the goal kickers. With the best players being Swanson, Walling, Big and Edwards. And um, I mentioned there to Georgia Bevan, who's very unlucky not to be mentioned in the best there as well. For Port Adelaide, their solitary goal kicker was Rebecca Wanganee. Um, and their best players were Hartung Gleeson, Gould, Daniel Hitchcock and Karakalidis. Having a look ahead to round four action, all games on Saturday night. 6.30pm, the two sides who lost last week, Modbury host West Adelaide. Yes, so down at the Modbury, pardon me, I'm going to cough, <coughs> Modbury Sports and Community Club. Um, Westies, I think after their rest period that they had up against Adelaide Uni, will prove too strong for Modbury. And unfortunately, I think their season of pain is going to continue. With Westies, I think could be out for revenge after what happened to them because they actually had been in reasonable form. 6.30pm at Salisbury Oval. The two sides that won last week, the Magpies host the Morphy Roos. This one uh, is my prediction for game of the round. I think this one should be a really strong contest with each team having about three AFLW players in them. Um, and normally I would pick the Roos here, but just on the form from last week, I'm going to back in the Salisbury Magpies to get across the line. And at 7pm at Uni Oval, Adelaide Uni host Port Adelaide. I'm sorry, this is Port Port Adelaide. I think this is going to be a bit one-way traffic with Adelaide Uni yet to exert their authority on yet another team. Um, at Adelaide Uni Oval, I'm pretty sure they will be too powerful for the Port Adelaide Magpies. It would be the upset of the century if they were able to get over to the line. No disrespect to Port Adelaide there, but Adelaide Uni, too strong. Well, Ali, thanks very much for joining us this week, and we look forward to catching up with you next week, hopefully feeling a little bit better when we cover another round of the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 competition. 
Thank you very much for having me, Peter. Hope you feel better too. Well, that concludes the show for another week. Again, a quick reminder that our Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Match of the Day on RSN Carnival, that's digital radio in Melbourne, and of course on your mobile phone anywhere around the world when you download the RSN Racing and Sport app and click on Carnival, will be the Geelong Cats versus Melbourne University Muggers. That game going to air from 10 a.m. Sunday morning, June 25th. Bounce down is at 10.45 a.m. Please do join us then for another great match of VFL women's football. Don't forget you can follow us online by going to Twitter and searching for Girls Play Footy. On Facebook, search for Girls Play Footy. And, of course, we've got our very own website with all the latest women's footy news, girlsplayfooty.com. I'm Peter Holden. Until next time, it's bye for now.